0: And please be seated. Good morning. We have something very special to start off with this morning before we get into our study. If I could have the pastors and elders come up. When a pastor is ordained, it is it is recognition of God's calling on a particular man for for full-time ministry, a full-time responsibility to the Lord's work and to the Lord's people. One of Jesus' favorite metaphors for spiritual leadership, and one that he used often for himself, was that of a shepherd. And a shepherd leads and feeds and nurtures and comforts and corrects and protects the flock. The very word pastor means shepherd. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory recognition, recognizing the calling on an individual's life, and also identification, identifying as pastors, elders, and as the body of believers here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, identifying with this man as a pastor, and we see the calling, we see the convictions, and we come alongside and commend him for public leadership and ministry. Well, it is my pleasure to tell you this morning and invite you to be a part of the ordination of Pastor Don Aldana. Many of you might be going, well, wait a second, I already call him Pastor Don. (laughs) Do you know why that is? Because he's walked in that calling, not seeking a title, but following God's lead. He has been shepherding, and you guys part of the men's ministry, you know this man has been shepherding the men of this church for a long time. Following the call that God has placed on his life. And we just come alongside this morning and just recognize that in this in this public forum. And and so if we would as you would join us, please, would you please stand as we pray over Don? Would you just please stand and, and perhaps extend your hand out and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you you work in your body. Lord, first calling us and drawing us to yourself, but then as your redeemed body, Lord, you give us each individual and personal callings, equipping us each uniquely for the specific calling that you place on our lives. And Lord, this morning we come together as a body here at Calvary Chapel Surprise and we recognize the calling that you have placed on Don's life. We acknowledge the equipping that you have given him to fulfill that calling that you have placed upon him. Lord, we thank you for his faithfulness to walk in that calling. We thank you for the equipping that you have done. Lord, we thank you for even the very difficult paths that he has had to walk To make him the man of God that he is. Lord, we come together this morning to thank you for for who you are and the man that you have created Don to be. And Lord, as we anoint him this morning with oil, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon him again in a whole new way, Lord, that you would anoint him afresh for the very specific calling that you have placed on his life. Lord, that you would equip him today, right here, right amongst us, Lord, but that, you would, that you would give him an equipping for something that you've never called him to do before. It's very specific, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for his wife, Susan. Lord, we pray that you continue to heal and strengthen her. And, and Lord, them as a couple, the example that they are to so many, Lord God, have your way. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi to everybody again as you sit down. Take out your Bible, please, and open them up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, we continue our study together of Matthew's record of the Lord Jesus' life. And last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this... Interaction between Jesus and his disciples very personally on the Mount of Olives. We look at it, we call it the the Olivet Discourse. And what kind of kicked off the whole discussion, if you'll remember, back in verse 3, the disciples asked him, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We can look at that as three questions, as we've said, or basically three parts to the same question. What got the whole thing started was Jesus saying, as they were, they were commenting and marveling on the temple, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be torn down. And they said, what will, what, what's, when is that going to happen? What will be the, the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What they're asking about is when... Is an event going to take place, an event that is spoken of throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament event, a time that is called the Day of the Lord? That is the undergirding of their question. When is the Day of the Lord going to take place? The Day of the Lord, as spoken of again in the Old Testament, is a time, a span of time when God is going to personally intervene in history to accomplish specific aspects of his purpose and his plan. that It's very clear that this is a time that is coming. Isaiah speaks of this time. Isaiah chapter 2. This time that, that, that begins with, with, a, with an event and, and carries through these, the tribulation and into the millennial reign of Christ. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus speaks of it, Verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, Now it will come about in the last days, the day of the Lord, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go out to the mountain of the Lord, to to the house of the God of Jacob, that he, Jesus, may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. is pointing to this culmination of the day of the Lord for the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ, where he will rule and reign on the earth from Jerusalem, The nations coming to him, following his law. No more war. But Isaiah points also to a preceding time frame before this millennial reign in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. And he goes on for several verses after that to speak of the fact that no one will be exempt... The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves and and rocks and into holes in the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Speaking of a day when the Lord reveals himself to the world and people seeing his glory and his holiness and his majesty, instead of humbling themselves, try to flee from his holiness. John talks about that very time in Revelation chapter six when he said, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb of God. Isaiah speaks of this time spoken of in the book of Revelation, a time of great tribulation followed by the millennial reign of Christ. We've been looking at this in Matthew's account here, the, 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 the record that we've, the last couple of weeks, the tribulation period. We've been talking about that and we would mentioned last week, we stopped at the halfway point in our discussion last week. There is an event that takes place that cuts the seven-year tribulation period in half. Jesus alludes to it as we begin our study today in verse 15, Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus speaks to a specific thing that is spoken of in the book of Daniel. And it is spoken of for us, it's recorded for us by Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. This is what Jesus is referring to in our verse here today. Seventy weeks, it says, have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Seventy weeks set aside for the Jews and for Jerusalem, your people and your holy city. He says, you are to know and discern, understand that from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, a total of 69 weeks. It will be rebuilt again with plaza Mote even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Having nothing, and the people of the prince who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary, and it will come with an end, will come with a flood, even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined. Daniel is speaking of this time. Seventy weeks have been decreed. And we spoke of that time frame in that a couple of weeks ago. If you missed it, we do have it up on our website under our, our recommended page. If you go to that, you can see that when we looked at this, because it's, it's, it's fascinating when we look at this prophecy of Daniel. He says that there are 70 weeks determined for Israel and Jerusalem. That word weeks is heptads. It's not the week that we look at as seven days. It is a period of seven. And in this case, period of seven years. So 70 periods of seven. It tells us after 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. And we went through that step by step to show that the very day that Jesus rode in on his donkey was to, was prophesied that very day well we look at this now that 69 weeks have then been fulfilled based on what we look at here but there's still one week left one period of seven years and the Jews and the disciples at the time, when they looked at this, at this prophecy, they thought, again, it was going to happen in rapid succession. But after the Messiah, Jesus, cut off, crucified, dead and buried, rose again, there's a pause button that's been hit. And that is the church age, as we've been discussing we talked last week that, that we as the church, they looked, at it, they looked at it from one direction and saw these two mountain peaks right next to each other. But when you step off to the side, there's a time frame in between, the time of the church. And when the church is raptured out and taken up, the, 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 the clock will begin again shortly after that. Daniel chapter nine, what takes place in that last year, it tells us, verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of the abomination will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, what does that mean? There's one coming, the Antichrist. He is going to make a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And halfway through that seven-year period, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and that's what Jesus is pointing to right now, the abomination of desolation will take place. Paul refers to it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above the so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Jesus is pointing to that moment. When you see that moment happen, when this one sets himself up in the temple and demands to be worshipped, the abomination of desolation, that begins the clock again. I'm sorry, the, the peace treaty begins the clock again for Israel, and this is the halfway point. The seven years begin again when this Antichrist that strikes a deal with Israel to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. Jesus says, be looking for this moment though. Now some point to a partial fulfillment or a shadow or a type of this being taken place by a a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He lived about 150 or so years before Jesus And he hated the Jews, hated the the Jewish religion. He came into the temple and sacrificed a pig there, smeared the pig's blood all over, forced the priests to eat raw pork, which, you know, again, understanding the Jews, you know, that's they don't you can't eat pork. That violates the law. But he did that just to spite them. But that's just a foreshadow. That's not what is being spoken of here. Some people point to that as the abomination of desolation. Jesus, notice, he says, when you see. That happened before Jesus. He said this is a future event. It can't be in 70 AD because looking at it from this point, there will be a peace treaty signed. Rome never signed a peace treaty with Israel. So it's an event yet still to come. But Jesus said, when you see this, verse 16, then those who are in Judea, this is a local issue he's speaking of, those who are still in the Judean area in Israel must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He speaks of this great tribulation such as that has never been seen before. There has never been anything that has happened comparable to what is going to take place in the last three and a half years. We looked last week at the first three and a half years. It gets worse in the second three and a half years. And again, we studied through that in much greater detail in the book of Revelation as that is laid out in in great detail there. But notice he says, those who are in Judea, speaking again to a very localized group of people, flee to the mountains. Now, that's interesting. Flee to the mountains. He's just telling them to take off and find the highest place that you can? No. No, there's a very specific place in the mountains that he is calling them to go to. It's a place called Petra. And if if you've never heard of it before, it is a city that was built about 300 and some odd years before Jesus. The civilization existed there for a short period of time and has been based virtually in and uninhabited since. And we have some pictures up here. And I, I find it fascinating because God is making provision for a far future event way in the past. That's how God works. <laughs> Nothing catches him by surprise. He's prepared for everything. This place, this, it, it is, it, it's virtually impenetrable. And it's the size of Manhattan. You, you, you see the movie, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever, and you see the one little building, and you think that's it. No, this place is the size of Manhattan. And again, this is a call for the Jews that live in the area to flee. Notice it says, on the Sabbath. Pray it's not on the Sabbath, because this is for the Jewish people, God taking care of his. He, notice he says, flee there, but don't go back and get anything. a be awful crazy to go into this mountainous area and live in these places what are we going to eat what are we going to wear god says you don't have time but you don't have to worry either revelation 12:6 then the woman that's the, that is israel fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by god and there you go so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. He has a place prepared, and he has every, all the provisions will be provided for them for 1,260 days. Guess how long that is? Three and a half years. For the sake of the elect, it's talking about this persecution, that time being cut short. Now, again, there's a lot of Back and forth debate on who the elect are here in these verses. The elect in the Bible certainly speaks of us as believers. I believe it speaks of the tribulation saints as well. But I believe in context, as we look at it, as try talking about here again, his people, his chosen people, Israel. There's certainly parallels. We'll look at some of those as we go through. But God chose these people, the Jewish people. It tells us, Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God chose them. Goes on to say, he didn't choose you because you were the biggest group of people. As a matter of fact, you were the smallest when he placed his calling on you. Didn't choose you because there was anything super special or like you, you brought anything to the table. No, he just chose you. He chose you to place his love upon you. He chose you to make a covenant with. He chose you to deliver. He chose you to be your God. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, isn't that an amazing truth to just sit in from time to time? That he chose us. We don't bring anything to the table. (laughs) He chose us in spite of us. He chose to to place his love on us in spite of who we are. He demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. To make a covenant with us in his blood. To deliver us from sin. To deliver us from death. To be our God. It's a good thing to be chosen by God. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. Remember, the question has been asked to them, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he continues to tell them, okay, he hasn't gone to the sign yet, but he keeps saying, beware of this. Watch out for this. These things are gonna happen, but that's not it. And here again, he speaks of false Christs, those that are claiming to be the Messiah and are not, those that are false prophets. He's saying, don't be deceived if they say, hey, The Messiah, he's out in the wilderness, or he's back in this secret room. He says, don't believe them. They'll perform signs and wonders, and that's not sleight of hand, like like Bill showed us earlier, and we'll show some more tonight. We're not talking that. We're talking satanic-inspired signs and wonders that appear to be miraculous. So convincing that it says, if it were possible for the elect to be deceived, even that could happen. Now, when we look at this, it it is important to understand that's what Jesus is saying here. Because in the Greek, the word if that is used there, if possible, the elect to be deceived, if possible, that word if there, in the Greek it has three conditions. The first condition means if and it is. And that word we would use as since. You know, since it is cold, it's okay to go ahead and drink. Or something like that. since. If, and it is. There's the other word that we use as if, and that's if, and it could be, and it could be not. That's how we use the word if. That's the second condition. The third condition is if, and it's not, and it goes on. So, and that's the condition that this word is used here. If it's possible, and it's not. Even the elect could be deceived. Why is it impossible for the elect to be deceived? Because God has chosen them and protecting them. He is, we just looked at that. He, has, he will provide for them. He will, he will take care of them. And I have people that, that come up to me and, and, and say, okay, I know, Pastor Brett, you say that, we're, that, that the rapture of the church is going to take place before this time frame, but what if you're wrong and we're there? I'm worried that I might be led away. I might be, I might be one that could be deceived like that. And I will tell you, are you a born-again believer? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus and him and him alone for your salvation? Have you surrendered your life to him? Then the Holy Spirit resides in you. Jesus himself in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, this unbelievable mystery that Paul talks about. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the truth in you than the deception that is in the world. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to pray. We need to be in the word. We need to be in fellowship together. You know how Bank tellers spot counterfeit bills, right? It's not by studying counterfeits. It's by studying the original. You want to make sure that you don't even blink and look another direction? Know the Word of God. Know Him. Then you won't be deceived. Verse 27 For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken." And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Behold, he said this before, behold, I've told you in advance He said, let the reader understand. He's underscoring this again and again. And finally, he's coming here and he's saying, guys, here it is. Immediately. Immediately after the tribulation period. Can we know when that is? Not today. But we can. They will. For 1,260 days from the abomination of desolation. The time frame is set. So he says, when that time frame comes, when the tribulation period is over, and notice, remember he said, be careful. If they say he's in the wilderness or he's in the secret room, don't listen to him. Nobody's going to miss this. Everybody will see it. And he lines it out for us. And I'll paraphrase. Jesus says, hey, guys, here's the deal. You want the sign? Here it is. When the sun goes out and the moon doesn't shine, and the stars go out. There is no light in the sky at all, totally black, except this guy on a white horse with angel armies behind him. That's me. That's the sign. He came the first time, humble, in a manger, born a baby to to poor parents, The only only fanfare was a a multitude of angels singing glory to God in the heavens to a few shepherds. Very few witnesses. When he triumphantly rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, a lot more fanfare, more witnesses, but certainly not sincere because many of those crying Hosanna will in a few days be crying crucify him. But this time... There will be no mistake. This time, everyone will see. I love how, love how John records it for us, the picture that we have in Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, and white and clean, are following him on white horses. That's us. And on his robe and on his thigh are written the names King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, (laughs) the sky, wham. And there he is on air horse one, (laughs) ready to come down, and us following him. There will be no mistake. There will be no mistake. Jesus said, learn, verse 32, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So too. When you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus says, tells them the parable of the fig tree. And many people draw conclusions because it's a fig tree and the fig tree is used many times in the old testament to, to refer to israel okay so notice then when the fig tree gets gets ripe and, and ready okay well that must mean the birth of, of israel again as a nation and drawing all the sorts of, and that might be it i i, I kind of look at just exactly what he said he says when when you when a tree and its branch is ready and, and it becomes tender know that summer is near it's kind of like with us when you see all the Christmas decorations and everything coming out at Walmart, you know that Labor Day is right around the corner. (laughs) And, And so to be ready. Behold, he said, I told you in advance. Let the reader understand this. I think his point is to see it, to recognize it, and not to get into a panic about it, but to look up. To be ready. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he says in Luke 21, 28. The the same record of this event in Luke's gospel. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. We look at all of the things that are going on in the world around us. This chaos, this craziness. And we can get caught up and all wrapped up in it. Or we can look up and say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And be ready. Interesting, this, this, these few verses right here caused a lot of people to kind of go in a lot of crazy directions. Can I mention the whole idea of the fig tree? And then this verse, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. That word generation, just like most words in any language, has more than one meaning. And it can mean an age or a a group of people that share the same time frame. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we look at that as a, as a generation, this generation of people. That's what it can mean. And so many people have looked at this and said, okay, what Jesus is saying is that the people that are alive at the time when the branch starts to bud, they're going to be alive at the beginning and they're going to see it through to the end. And that could be what it means. But because that's what people insist it means, they start saying, okay, so if Israel was born again in 1948, that's got to be the, the day. So, what's a generation? Well, it says in the book of Exodus that, that when the children of Israel were going through the, the wilderness and they came to the promised land and then they didn't go in because of their lack of faith. God said, this generation will die out before you go in, and that was 40 years, so 40 years. Okay, 1948, 1988, a guy actually wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. Oops. <laughs> okay, well, if that's not it, it says, it says in Genesis that, that when Jacob went to Egypt and the, and the Jewish people, then the, the nation started to grow there, that the, it would be 400 years later, that, that they would be taken out, that God would deliver them. And it says to that that in the fourth generation, so generation 100 years, so the second printing's probably gonna be 88 reasons he's coming in 2048. I don't know. There's another meaning for the word, and it means genealogy. If you have a margin Bible, you might even see it, or it could mean race, a group of people, a nation the Jewish people, Israel. You know, there's a thing in, in the t- history of the church that has been a black mark on the church, for in a, a lot of the church, for a lot of the time. And it's known as replacement theology. And what that says is that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. And before 1948... You go back a hundred years, somebody standing up could make a pretty convincing argument because Israel isn't even a country anymore. There is no no such place as Israel. It's gone. And that happened because back after, after this whole revolt of the Jewish people against Rome and they came in and they drove them out and they spread them out, the diaspora dispersed all over The Romans changed the name of Israel to Palestine. You know why they did that? Just to turn the knife a little bit more. They named it after their arch enemies, the Philistines. They named it Palestine. And that's what it was called for for a long time. And people still try to insist on calling it that today. The Romans did that. I find it ironic. You can go to Israel today and get a Jewish tour guide to take you through Roman ruins. That's kind of cool. But anyway, (laughs) throughout history, throughout history, there has never been a people that has been more persecuted than the Jews. Throughout history, there has never been a group of people that has been more targeted for extinction than the Jews. But yet they still survive and thrive. Why? Because are God's chosen people, that's why. All the way back, Genesis 17, 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. An everlasting covenant. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Guys, Israel is real. (laughs) It's necessary, not optional, necessary that Israel became a nation again. It's necessary that a temple is rebuilt. It's necessary that a holy of holies is built so that it can be desecrated. It's necessary that they flee to Petra. It's necessary that they look upon him whom they have pierced. It's necessary that they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those aren't things that are optional. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that this, regardless of all of the persecution and everything that they face throughout their entire existence, they will not pass away because they are my people and I will protect them. Verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one will be left. But of that day, of that day, do we, what day, an hour, what is he speaking of? Well, again, talking of this, we were in the beginning, the day of the Lord. A span of time when God will personally intervene in history. A time when, when he will accomplish specific aspects of his purpose and his plan personally. Now he's been talking about a specific event, a moment when he comes again. And up in the sky everyone sees him. But it's interesting again as we look at and we study the language that this was written in. There's a key word that we just read over just like any other word, but we can't. We have to pause for a second, and it's the first word of verse 36, and it's the word but. It's the Greek word, actually, two words, peride. And it means, and it carries with it the assumption of an introduction of a new subject. What do I mean? Example, 1 Corinthians. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, chapter 7, finishes speaking about marriage. Chapter 8 begins, now, peri concerning those things sacrificed to idols. Changing the subject. Verse 11, he's, or Chapter 11, he's finishing speaking up, talking about the Lord's Supper. Chapter 12, verse 1, now, peri concerning spiritual gifts. He's changing subjects. Here we see Matthew, Jesus speaking of his second coming, that time when he will come again to rule and to reign, to begin the millennial reign. But, Perry D. of that day and hour, Jesus coming into this focus, but now he's backing up and taking a look at the whole time span again. That day and hour, when this whole thing gets kicked off, We speak of, and whether whether you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, mid-trib, post-trib rapture, if you believe in the rapture of the church where Jesus comes back for his bride, we understand that there are still two comings yet for Jesus. First, he comes for his bride. He comes for his church. He does not come all the way back. He, He stops in the clouds and we go to meet him there in the air. The rest of the world isn't going to see that. They're just going to wonder where we went. But the first time he comes, he comes for his church. The second time, he comes with his church. And that's what we've just been looking at. When he comes back to rule and reign, and we follow him on our horses, and we come back and rule and reign with him. And Jesus, again, saying that as we look back at this picture, that that this will all get kicked off in the, and it will be like, notice he says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. The days of Noah. What, what, what is he speaking of there? Well, some point to the wickedness of the day of Noah. The fact that, that immorality and violence continued to increase and, the, and instead of the culture pushing back on it, the culture just embraced it. And it got more evil and more wicked and more violent. And we could certainly relate to that. But again, I don't believe that's at all the point. I believe the point, again, is that because Jesus isn't speaking of the violence here. He's talking about the normal everyday life that's going on. Eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and just life going on as normal. And nobody understood it. Nobody got it until until the flood came. Two men working, one taken, the other left. Two women working, one taken, the other left. That word taken, again, interesting, understand, the Greek word there, paralambano. And it literally means to take ones to yourself. It literally means to take, to join one to yourself. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive, paralambano you to myself. That There I am. There you may be also. He comes for his church. He comes back for us. Why is this important? Why do I, why do I, why am I so passionate about this? Because Jesus says in verse 42, therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your lord is coming there's something that can get lost a lot in in life something that can get lost a lot even in the life of the church and that is the imminent return of the lord jesus that he could come back at any moment do you believe that at any time jesus could come back Do you really believe that? Well, if you do, let me ask a question. Does your life reflect it? Do you live a life every day as though you think he could come back at any moment? I know we'd all like to say yes, yes, that's it. But let me ask you this question. If you knew, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was coming back in the next 24 hours, would you live those 24 hours differently? If you say yes, you're just like me. (laughs) And you're just like all of us, probably, if we're being honest with ourselves. If you knew he was coming back in 24 hours, would you go to the movies today? I'm not telling you not to go to the movies, but would it change what movie you watched? Would you go golfing today? I'm not saying don't go golfing. I love to golf. But would it change what you how you reacted, what you said when you missed the putt? Would you buy groceries today if you knew Jesus was going to come back tomorrow? I'm not saying don't go buy groceries. But it, would it change the way you interacted with the cashier? Would you go to work tomorrow? I'm not saying don't go to work. (laughs) But would it change the way you interacted with your boss when he didn't treat you fair? Or what you said to coworkers when something doesn't go your way? I'm going to get real tight here. If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would you go down to the 99 tonight? and possibly share the gospel with a young person knowing that today is the last time they could have a chance. I'll tell you what, I went Friday night, changed my life. Amazing. It's in your face. But I saw young people come to Christ on Friday night. I saw young people bearing their hearts. Metro Metro Center. They need volunteers. Do you know last on Friday night? Your second service, you can be late. Friday night, we got down there with a group of our youth that weren't scheduled to go. If they did not show up, they were probably going to call off the show because they didn't have enough volunteers. They need your help. Changes lives. If you're if you're here today and, and you're not a believer, you're not born again. If one day we all disappear, don't believe what the world will tell you. It wasn't aliens. It wasn't global warming. It's not George Bush's fault. He still gets blamed for everything, right? The Lord returned for his church. We went to be with the Lord. And take a, copy of, take a copy of this. If you're not a believer today, take a copy of this message. You're going to need it because I want you to do something for me, and the police will ask you why. I want you to break into this place and take every Bible and every book of prophecy out of here and get, read them and give them out because we're not going to need them anymore. You are. But I have a much better idea. Why don't you join us? There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to be be a part of the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, and that is to receive the free gift of salvation that he purchased for you. He died in your place on the cross. He stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died in your place to pay the penalty for your sin. That's how much he loves you, but he will not force that on you. You have to receive it. You have to surrender to him. You have to confess your sin, You have to repent, which means you turn from your sin and you turn to him, receive the free gift of salvation. And then you can know, when all of this stuff starts unwinding, you think it's crazy now, it's about to get nuts. But you can know that your eternity is secure. I want to give you an opportunity to pray right now to ask the Lord into your life. Would you bow your heads with me, please?